It is good to be with you. And uh, before we get into the sermon, let's pray. Even as I'm aware of families that are still in mourning, uh, families that are just wrestling with sickness, uh, we are uh, just aware of the, the busyness of our lives. I uh, was back to school and, and new job situations. Um, kids' activities, and so let us uh, just go to the Lord, bringing these things, because he, he cares for us and about these things, even um, the very things in our lives. And so let, let's look to him even before we go to his word to hear what he has for us this morning. Father, I thank you for this gathering of your people, that you have called us by name, you have united us with your your son, Jesus, the risen king, and made us a people, made us into a local body where we can encourage one another, we can stand with one another, we can pray for one another, we can help one another bear each other's burdens, where we are aware of just families that are grieving. We particularly think of uh, Kathy and, and her family as they are in... Puerto Rico for uh, the, the final um, memorial service for Negro and, and just the committal um, and just uh, uh, closing off a chapter of, of a beautiful life. We pray your comfort over them. Lord, I pray for even my family, also Chris and Kim's family. We ask that you would comfort and, and help us to viscerally know your nearness. Lord, I'm aware of those who are carrying heavy burdens of stress and anxiety and for themselves, for their loved ones. Lord, I pray that you would remind us that you, even as Pastor Michael read earlier, that you know, you know our frame. You know our weaknesses and our struggles, and so, Lord, we look to you for help. Father, we pray as a church that you would bind us together with, with, with cords of loving kindness to one another, that we would, uh, uh, cords of unity and joy. Lord, there's a lot of things that can splinter us. Lord, I pray that the gospel would keep us united. Father, I pray for that we would be kind to one another, loving, generous, and I thank you for the, the many ways that your people are already doing that. And I pray that you would encourage us to continue to walk in those ways. Lord, we, we, we ask that you would continue to bless Richie, even as she visited us last week, as she's continuing to raise support to go to Japan to work at that church plant. Lord, we, we ask that you would bring about partners and, and a renewed vigor and desire, even in her, seeing that your hand is at work. So that we, we pray for her that she would be able to get on the field sooner rather than later and engage in the work that you have called, have called her to. Now, Lord, we turn to your word and we ask that you would help us to be revived by it, encouraged by it. In Christ's name, amen. Well, over the summer, we have been preaching through a series called Gathered. 
Uh, and in this series, we've stopped to consider the elements of our worship gatherings. And the goal has been that we would all grow in our awareness of why we worship the way that we do, why we do the things that we do, and that this would then spur us on to deeper, more joyful worship. Over the past several months, we've seen in the call to worship, we, we gather at God's invitation. He welcomes us into his presence to worship and praise him. We, we think about the confession, even as Pastor Michael already explained. We acknowledge that the world, our church, and we ourselves are not as we ought to have been. Sin has invaded our world and our hearts, and apart from God's grace, we're without hope. We've seen that our confession is not punctuated with heaping guilt on one another, but rather the assurance of pardon that comes to us by grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We sing, not because all of us are good singers, but as a response and an expression of gratitude and joy to the grace that has been shown to us. Singing is also a way that we internalize the message of the gospel, the good news of our redemption. Our songs proclaim both to ourselves and to others who we are and whose we are. We open God's word in, the pre in preaching because we come in week after week forgetting the gospel. And in the preaching of God's word, we're, we're retold the story. And, and as we hear God's word taught, the instruction realigns our hearts and our minds and our lives according to God's story. We then give not in order to gain merit before God, but we give as a response to what God has given to us through Christ. As God has blessed us, as we've been set free from sin, even the, the, the enslavement to pursuing worthless idols, we now share freely so that others may experience this same freedom and joy through the message of the gospel going forth. In the ordinances or the sacraments, in, in baptism and the Lord's Supper, in baptism we see a picture of the gospel made clear in the life of an individual. We see one who is baptized, one who has died with Christ, that has been buried with Christ, and by God's grace been risen to new life in Christ. And in that, they are welcomed into God's family. And as family, then we then gather around the Lord's table and share a meal called the Lord's Supper. Both that commemorates the cost of our salvation and anticipates the promise of what is yet to come. This is the flow, this is the gospel story that we practice each week. And each Sunday, we end with a benediction. And so that's where we're going to end the series this morning. We're going to talk about the meaning, the significance, and the power of benediction, of a benediction in our service. And using Numbers 6, the passage that Angela just read for us, I want to ask three questions. One, what is a benediction? Two, why do we do it? And then three, how do we receive and embody it? So what is it? Why do we do it? And how do we receive and embody it? The first question is pretty easy. What is a benediction? 
The word benediction actually comes from two Latin words, bene and, and, and diction, or, and it, it means just to say well or a good word. In other words, it's a blessing. And this is what we see in Numbers. Look, go back to the passage, Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, and then he's going to say what the blessing is. It's important to note that the Lord himself takes the initiative. It's not Moses saying, hey, you know what our people need, Lord, is, is a good word from you. Rather, God takes the initiative. The Lord takes the initiative, and, he, he, and he, then he gives a job to the, the Levitical priest, to Aaron and his sons, to pronounce this blessing over the people. Not only does he initiate it, but he gives them the very words to say. So in this way, the blessing is not just a request. It's a statement. It's a pronouncement made with God's very promise behind it. Maybe you've heard this blessing before. People use it often. It's often on like, little prayer cards and stuff or little posters. But a few points of context may be helpful to better understand. And the first is, the, uh, the ben this benediction is a blessing to the people of Israel as they are being prepared to go into the land that the Lord has promised. So the book of Numbers, we call it Numbers because there's a bunch of numbering of people. It begins with a lot of names with a lot of numbers, and sometimes you get sleepy when you read them. But after this census of both the tribes of Israel and then the, Lev the Levitical priests, the Lord outlines priest the, priestly's, the priest's role and how they are to lead the people and keep the camp holy. The camp meaning the people of God, the, the congregation, the assembled ones. After these instructions, the Lord Setting the Levites apart now sets his people apart. And he does so by pronouncing this blessing over them. In other words, it's a sending blessing. And that's what our benediction is. Uh, Kirsten, our, our old church, when we lived in Kentucky, at the benediction they would often say, the benediction is just a blessing for the road. The blessing that prepares the people to be sent into the land where they will live as God's unique chosen people. It's also important to recognize and to note that the pronouncement of a blessing in the ancient Near East was more than just a nice, oh, bless your heart. It, it actually it had a lot more meaning. We can even, if, if you're familiar with the book of Genesis, you might recall the story of. Jake, um, Isaac blessing Jacob over Esau. And then Jacob calling his sons and blessing them each by name, pronouncing a word over them. Blessing, particularly from God, meant more than just words. It was a promised action. One scholar actually says this he, about ancient blessings. He says, to bless unleashes the blessing with a force from which the fullness of life springs and enables one to perform a wide variety of life tasks. In other words, let me say that again. To bless unleashes 
the blessing with a force from which the fullness of life springs and enables one to perform a wide variety of tasks. What the Lord is doing is he's speaking this word to propel them out in his name and with his favor. It was meant to empower and assure them. And here is what the priests declare over the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In a beautiful, compact way, these three verses are structured all in the same way. First, they begin with the Lord's covenant name. If you notice in your Bible, it, it has all letters capitalized. That's the way that the, the translators in English show that the Lord is using his covenant name, Yahweh. The promise-keeping God says, hey, this is who I am, and he is the subject of everyone. He is the one that's going to do the action. So we see the Lord said three times, Yahweh's name brought to bear three times, and then each one is followed by two blessings, the, the, uh, the, the latter that flows out of the former. The second one is a result of the first one. The Lord bless you and keep you. What does it mean for the Lord to bless you? not like when we just sneeze. It means that the Lord, who is the very source of all life, that every good and perfect gift flows from him, the very source of all true blessing. He's saying, the, the fountainhead of all blessing, that's the one who imparts this favor upon you. If it is the Lord who is blessing you, what it means is that he's giving you his very presence. It is his nearness. It is his favor. It is his undivided attention. If God is with us in our midst, the second flows from the first. Keep you. We can also translate watch or protect. Maybe some of your translations, if you're not using the ESV, say that. Israel was going to be sent into a land that was surrounded by enemies. They had just been delivered from slavery by the hand of the Lord. The word of blessing is to protect them not just from enemies, but also from anyone or anything that would oppose their flourishing. That the Lord says, I will be in your midst and I will surround you to protect and keep you. I will watch over you. Interestingly enough, this is one of the things that Adam was to do in the garden. To keep the garden. To protect it, to, to pull the weeds. To help the ground bear fruit. This is what the Lord says he will do in our midst. The second line, the, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
one of the hardest parts of COVID were the dumb masks. I hated them. I still hate them. Not because I don't want to be safe, but I like seeing people's faces. If I was in a store and someone had a mask and they were helpful or I just wanted to make small talk, I know that might be a surprise for some of you that I would just talk to strangers. But I would sometimes say, I know you can't tell, but I'm smiling under this thing. I would try with my eyes and smile with my eyes, but it's really hard. A smiling face communicates so much. This blessing says the Lord's face shines upon you. It is his, it is a display of his pleasure, of his delight in you. What stirs within your heart if you, if you were to picture the face of God lighting up with pure joy and delight at your very presence? Like a father watching their child take their first step or read their first word or reaching a long-desired goal. This is what Proverbs says of the face. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. In the light of a king's face, there is life, and his favor is like the clouds that bring spring rain. In other words, it's life-giving. This is the delight and favor that the Lord is promising to his people. The opposite we see in Scripture as well is that to, for him to hide his face communicates his absence, his abandonment, his rejection. One of the psalmists writes, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. We don't want to feel that abandonment. I think sometimes, though, it's often not God hiding his face from us, but us from him. We know where our thoughts have been, what our hands have done or not done. We know how our words have been used, and we know the feeling of shame and guilt that just eats at our core. In these moments, even with others in our lives, what's the one thing we often can't do? Look them in the face. What we need is God's grace. What we need is grace from others. And this is what he gives. For him to make his face to shine upon us, we need him to be gracious. We need him to show us mercy and favor even when we don't deserve it. The need for grace communicates the guilt of the receiver while at the same time it shows the, the condescending love and mercy of the giver. So what's being communicated here is nothing short of receiving the full force of the pleasure of God even though they have not merited it. 
It is his loving delight in them that actually makes them lovely in his sight. It is his hand that has redeemed them, ransomed them, made them his own, made them beautiful. So he looks at them with grace and his face shines upon them. And in the last line, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace completes this crescendo of blessing. That the Lord would lift up his countenance or his face. The NIV says, the Lord turn his face towards you. It, it, it's even more emphatic than the line before. It, it's a pronouncement that the Lord will give you his, his undivided attention. As the Lord has chosen Israel over the other nations, he would then give them his focus, his presence, his very power. One commentator noted that this was also an, uh, uh, this was an ancient Assyrian expression, this, may he lift up your face, his face towards you. And it means, and it, and it is meant that to love to give in love with all the riches of one's being. For God to turn his face upon, to, towards you, to lift his face upon you, it's for him to, to love you, to give in love with all the riches of his being. That's incredible. And we should remember, once again, it's not Moses' wisdom that says, hey, Lord, we need this. It's not Aaron or the other priests. The Lord goes, I know what you need. I know what your hearts long for. And I take the initiative, and I'm instructing my people to give this word to you. The Lord instructs the priest to pronounce this over his people. He says, in effect, or Ask me to give you my full attention, my smiling pleasure, the fullness of my very being, because that's what I want for you. My beloved sons and daughters. The result of the Lord's face turned toward us, his people. His fullness being poured into them. His abiding presence is then peace. How could it be anything but that? God is, excuse me, many of you know the Hebrew word here for peace is shalom. And peace is fine, but we often just, the opposite of peace, we think of war. And that's not really the opposite here. The opposite of peace or the the shalom is evil. So that the Lord would give us, his, give us peace, give us shalom. It actually is, he's going to give us a flourishing life, a fullness of heart, a, a life that flourishes with prosperity and, and, and joy. We often sing, we will sing in the house of Zion. That's singing about shalom. The peace that our hearts really long for. When we experience this shalom of God's blessing, when we walk in his light and his fullness, evil has no foothold or power over us.
The Lord instructed the priest to declare this, saying, So shall they, the priests, put my name upon the people of Israel. He's saying that the blessing is like a giant banner that the priests were to read over the people. God is reminding them that they will be his people, as he's promised, and he will be their God. The Lord is identifying himself with this people, an insignificant people, but made significant because he has been gracious towards them, turned his face towards them. He declares ownership and, as a result, responsibility over them. And in so doing, he commits himself to fulfill the blessing by saying, I will bless them. This isn't just going to happen. It's going to happen because I will make it happen. He promises that the blessings that flow from himself will descend fully on the people. And when they receive them, and the they declare that they are his. What is a benediction? It's pronouncing a blessing that comes from the Lord over his people. So why do we do it? Why did the Lord instruct the priest to do this? Why do we do it? The benediction was not and is not just empty ritual. It is rather an invitation to live in the reality of those who are redeemed by God. Those who had been chosen and ransomed. Do you remember that the people were about to be sent into the promised land? They were going to be tempted, tried, and attacked. They were going to feel the pressures of life, of marriage, of friends of neighbors, of the hardness of work, death and sorrow. The benediction, again, was a blessing for the road as they go so that they would remember, even in the mundane moments of life, who they are and whose they are. And so as they go, they're to go in the power and the assurance of the one who sends them. The benediction is a summary statement that summarizes our new humanity. It's not simply that we would grow in religiosity. Or just turn things in a Christian way. It actually propels us with like a jet force into the world. And so it's fitting that we end our services where we have, when, we're, when we've heard the invitation from God to come into his presence, that we've confessed our sin and our need, where we've received the fullness of his assurance and pardon, that we respond with praise and worship to his grace, that we've listened to God's word opened and where our hearts have been realigned and reminded of the gospel truth that we've come to celebrate with those who have also been identified with Christ in baptism and then gather around the table to again commemorate and look forward to what Christ has done. 
The benediction then is just a giant. Go out and live in the world as God's people now. With his name draped over you like a giant banner. One, one person said this I think is really brilliant. What numbers 6, 22 to 27 is to the Old Testament people of God, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, is what it is for the, for the, the covenant people of, in the New Testament people of God. There aren't two people, but they, 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 there is a parallel. Both, God is sending them out with the blessing of his nearness, of his provision, of his power that will be at work in them. For those that don't know, Matthew 28 is when Jesus says, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them uh, all that I've, I, 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 to observe all that I've instructed you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I go with you even to the end of the age. That's what number six is doing. That's what benedictions do. They send us out into the world. A writer I really like, his name's James K.A. Smith, and he said, he wrote this, the church is elected to responsibility, called to be the church to and for the world, not in order to save it or conquer it or even transform it, but to serve it by showing what redeemed humanity and culture look like, as modeled by the ones whose culture, cultural work led him to to the cross. We actually go in the world bearing the banner of Christ as God's people. The benediction then is an invitation to experience and live out of a restored humanity. I think there's also parallels, check, me, check with me here, of this blessing. Do you remember that, think about the garden before sin entered the world. God was present. He kept his people. His face shone upon them. He was gracious towards them, giving them all that they needed. His countenance, his attention was turned towards them. And there was peace, shalom, flourishing. Do you see that God's redemption actually brings us back to what was lost? This blessing is a pronouncement. I've redeemed you. I brought you back to myself so that you can experience what was lost due to sin. And it then reminds us again of that restored humanity that was lost and invites us to go walk in that way. We don't always just use, end with this, bless, this benediction, although we could, but... We pronounce other benedictions from Scripture, and they, they have the same purpose. Listen to this one from 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in the, in the name and the power of the triune God. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the, by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Go out and live in hope, even in the midst of brokenness. 1 Thessalonians 5, 
23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is the benediction from, our, from the Lord. Go out in the power of being made new by my grace, empowered by your Holy Spirit, compelled with the name of the, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit over you. Now go and walk. No, I'm with you. Biblical benedictions all take the promises of God and apply them to his people and their situation that they may live in a fallen world fully alive, fully alert, fully intentionally, or with full intentionality. That's probably a better way to grammatically say it. As the beloved sons and daughters of God that they are. The benediction may be my favorite. I don't know if you can tell this. may be one of my favorite parts of the service. It's not just because it's at the end of the service. But because it means that we can be assured of who we are and whose we are. It invites us to live in a daily power and presence of the Lord. I've said this from here. I've told you in conversations. I'm tired of playing Christian. It's lame. I want the real thing. If for freedom, Christ has set us free. I want to walk in that. I want you to. I want to walk in the power of this benediction. But here's the thing. I often don't receive it. As I should. Maybe you too. This week I read about, um, and this is the last point for those that like notes. Question, how do we receive and embody the benediction? To answer that, I, I, I read about a theologian named Frederick Buchner uh, in his early life. Um, and this one guy whose name is appropriately, uh, very coolly named Trevor Hudson, which is our son's first middle name, uh, wrote a book called Discovering Our Spiritual Identity. He's writing about uh, Frederick Buechner, and he says of his early life this. So this is quoting from Trevor Hudson. One Saturday morning, as the sun was rising, Frederick and his brother Jamie woke up excited. Their parents had promised to take them to watch football. Since the rest of the family was still sleeping, the brothers decided to stay in their room and amuse themselves with an old roulette wheel. While they played together, they noticed their father, father quietly open the bedroom door and look in. After a while, he disappeared and closed the door behind him. Sometime later, there was a piercing scream from downstairs. Looking out their window, the boys saw their fire, father lying outstretched on the on the on the driveway. Blue smoke drifted up from the garage door into the crisp autumn air. Their father had gassed himself. 
Buchner writes in his autobiography this. It was not for several days that a note was found. It was written in pencil on the last page of Gone with the Wind, which had been published that year in 1936. And it was addressed to my mother, saying, I adore and love you, and am no good. Give Freddie my watch, give Jamie my pearl pin, I give you all my love. Here's the point. I think most of us are like Freddie's father. We know the words that God loves us, but we have not, or at least do not regularly experience it. There's a gap between our head and our heart. We live with a, pervade, with a pervading sense that I am no good. I'm not worthy of this blessing. Some of you have heard this message from the time you were very young. You have received critique and criticism when you were hoping for celebration. I've sat with many of you and talked with many of you to hear this story time and time again. When you brought home straight A's and got one A minus, what you heard was not well done, but what happened? Why didn't you do better? Whether we chalk it up to differences of culture or generation, I would safely wager to say that those throughout your life, those closest to you and those who watched over you did not always demonstrate in their tone, their look, or their actions, blessing, delight, absolute approval, grace, attention, concern for your heart, not just for your career. So if those closest to us do not express and bless us in this way, why do we think God would? Others may struggle because you know what you've done. And if others did too, they would run in the other direction like their hair's on fire. The guilt and the shame of sin, our past, even our present, convince us that God's grace and presence is good enough for everyone else, but not for me. Yeah, God can give his peace and blessing and goodness to others, but I'm a different type of case. Others still miss the blessing because we're just so stinking busy and distracted with getting out of here to lunch, with thinking about the week that was or the week that's coming. We miss out because we've missed, we haven't learned how to quiet ourselves before the Lord. His blessing feels like a stranger to us because he feels like a stranger to us. We miss it because our wheels are spinning trying to earn the blessing when God stands offering it for free. God, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? I've already said you are. The way we receive it 
the way we embody it. It's like this. Open arms, open hands, all by grace, all by faith. We do so by looking to Jesus. In the face of Jesus, we see the fullness of God's love, his devotion, his delight, and his joy. Even as it was read earlier by Leslie, the Father's delight and joy over the Son was declared at his baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. His, the Father's face was shining on the Son. This happened again later on, even in Jesus. That begins Jesus' ministry, so he's propelled with a blessing. And then at the Mount of Transfiguration, he's going to go to the cross with the blessing of God. That on the Mount of Transfiguration before Peter, James, and John, we hear the same thing. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he was, this, the face of God was shining on Jesus so much that his clothes were whiter than what you could bleach. It was this beloved son, the one who had all the love in the, the universe for. This is the one he sent into the world to bring us to himself. Do you want to go, know God's delight in you, his love for you, his devotion to you? Look at Jesus. And Jesus wasn't like a grumpy teenager, and I'm not calling teenagers out here. This is how I was. Whatever. Jesus said, I will go. For those who he's purchased, he says, you are my brother, you are my sister, you're my friend. I willingly go. Jesus identified himself with his people. He knew our sin, he knew our rebellion, he knew our shame, he knew our guilt, yet he still came. Just like it was for God's idea for the priest to pronounce the blessing of the people of Israel, so too it was God's idea. Because of the great love with which he loved us, he sent Jesus to redeem, to ransom, to purchase, to deliver us, to make his his very own. And so that the banner that hung over God's name and, and numbers hangs over all that are in Christ. We are his Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Listen to this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we, you and I, might become the righteousness of God. In other words, the righteousness, the holiness, the perfection of God is draped over God's people like a banner because of the finished work of Jesus. This is the word that the Lord now speaks over you if you're in Christ. You are my beloved. All that is Christ, all that blessing, that all the benediction, you are my beloved son whom I will please. God now points that to you if you were in Christ. 
This is the truth that we proclaim week after week in the message of the gospel. Once your enemy now seated at your table, your enemy now made your friend. God makes us his beloved. This is why we can be sent out with a blessing. We can go with the, with the name of Christ draped over us. It's hard out there. We're going to stumble and fall, but he's gracious. His face shines upon us. He knows us. He blesses and keeps. He knows our frame. His desire is not for your demise, but for your flourishing, for that shalom. Let's land this plane. If you're not doing so already, would you close your eyes? I want you to plant your feet on the ground. I would even encourage you to uncross your arms and get, make an open posture to receive. I know this might feel real weird and culty to some of you. I'm very aware of that. And we're going to do it anyway. And I want you to take a few slow breaths in, deep breaths, in through your nose, out through your mouth. And as you sit there, it might be hard on a day like today, but I want you to imagine sitting in the sun on a perfectly warm day. I want you to feel your face glow and the warmth of the sun relax you. Create a joy that wells up from inside. As you feel that warmth, I want you to just imagine that the beauty and warmth that you feel flows from the very face of God himself. He is not angry. He is tender. He knows your story. He knows your struggles. He knows your anxiety. He knows your pain. He knows your failure. As you feel the warmth of his pleasure, Here's what I want you to risk. To receive it as a gift. I invite you to risk receiving this. And as you do, give yourself freedom to feel the assurance that the King of Kings loves you and is with you. Feel the power of his Holy Spirit that has gone before you and ever abides within you and is there to comfort and to guide you. Just sit in that. This is the blessing, the banner that hangs over us as God's people. This is the power of benediction. It's not about the pastor's power. It's about the promise of God. 
my invitation is that we wouldn't overlook them. But we'd rather be encouraged and assured and then scattered into the world knowing that the Lord loves us, is pleased with his people, and is ever with us. So with that, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your nearness, for the blessing that we have because of Christ. It is easy to forget, and I know that because I forget all the time of who you are and who I am and what you have done. And that's why we gather week in and week out, because we are forgetful people. But you are gracious. But I pray that we would not just sit in this blessing and this fullness and the, the, the reality of who we are in you now, that you would propel us out with great joy even when we face hardship, even when we know what's coming this week is going to be difficult, even when we are uncertain, not with a happy-go-luckiness, but with a resolve that remembers your great love for us. In Christ's name.